I'm glad to be in the house of God this morning. Are you? I said it last week. I'll say it again. I just, I love Sunday morning church. I just love being here with you all and uh, feeling the presence of God. It's, uh, it's one thing to go to church and that can be kind of meaningless, but when God shows up, now we got something. Amen? Amen. So it's good to see your smiling faces out there and trust that God has already touched you. If you're a visitor this morning, if this is the first time you've been here, or maybe you've first or second, you've been here a whole awful lot, but you're here this morning, good to have you. And we're, we're glad that you're here and we hope that uh, you feel God. We hope that you feel loved by us and uh, hope you come back. That's, that's the whole goal. Uh, welcome to those of us joining us uh, by live stream this morning. We want to welcome them as well. Uh, grab your Bible and open it to the book of Malachi. We're going to be there shortly. I'm going to give you a little bit. Of, I'm not going to start there, but I'm going to give you a head start. Okay, that's the book of Malachi. That is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you open up and you're in the New Testament, hang a left and uh, go to the very end of the Old Testament, and you'll be in the book of Malachi. And we'll be there shortly. I'm actually going to start this morning um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Help you remember this, 12, 13, 14, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 to 14, and this will be on the screen. I want you to look at it. Read it with me, not out loud, but read it along with me. It says, let us hear the conclusion. I'm going to start with the end this morning, okay? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So I'm starting at the end. That doesn't mean I'm going to end any sooner, probably. I mean, when I say I'm going to start with the end, somebody's like, yes, this is what we should, just get to the point, man. Let's get it on. So I'm going to start at the end and work my way backwards. Uh... It's interesting, really, when you read through Ecclesiastes, you know, Solomon writing this, and Solomon's struggling a lot through Ecclesiastes. You know, Solomon was a man who was very, very wise. God had blessed him with more wisdom than any man who had ever lived, and Solomon went off the rails. I mean, he got to the point where his wisdom almost became his Achilles heel. He, he started uh, marrying women from other, from other uh, uh, religions and, and gods, and they turned his heart away from God. And so we kind of find as, as Solomon is reading through Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes will either really encourage you or it will really depress you, right? So you have to look at the whole picture because basically in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is saying, life is vain. Life is meaningless. It's pointless. And he's going through this struggle. He's talking about how all of these things. He didn't deny himself anything. If he wanted it, he got it. And then he comes to the conclusion, but it's meaningless. It really doesn't uh, you know, do anything for me. It doesn't fulfill me in the end. So he ends Ecclesiastes by saying this. In the big picture, put it all aside, the conclusion of the entire matter, here's really what life is all about. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's the whole duty. That's all we're here on this earth to do. Fear God, keep his commandments. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so I want to preach this morning about the fear of God and what that really means. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we have felt <clears throat> your mighty presence in this place. And I pray that we as your people might come to understand more and more what that means for us, that we not take it for granted. God, that we would look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we might have a proper respect, a proper awe of you. Lord, I pray that you would teach us throughout your word as you call us to fear you and to keep your commandments. Teach us what that means, what that looks like. Show us how to do it, God. So today I pray that through this word, I yield to you as a vessel and I just pray that you use it to change hearts. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Fear God and keep his commandments. So when we think about fearing something, um, that's usually in a negative sense. I fear snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. Um, 
Some are afraid of spiders. Some are, I mean, there's, you name it. There's all kinds of things to be afraid of. And we think about it in a negative sense. But when God's saying, I want you to fear me, he's not, think, he's not talking about in the sense like you would be a, afraid, uh, per se, of, of a snake. I want to talk about what it means to be. If ever, we, we don't use this, this phrase much anymore, but, you know, they used to say it a lot. They'd talk, be talking about their grandpa or something like that and say he was a God-fearing man. Have you ever heard that phrase? He was a God-fearing man. It didn't mean that he was afraid of God. It meant that he had uh, respect and honor for God, understanding and, and knowing that God was ultimately in control of his life. That scripture says that it, God's going to bring how, which, how many works into judgment? Every work, right? So none of our works and none of the things that we do will be able to be slid under the rug. Every work that we do in this life will be brought before God in, in judgment. And so when you know ultimately at the end of your life that God will be your judge, there should be a healthy respect for him. Isn't that true? I mean, if you were to go up before a natural judge, if you broke law and you went up before the judge, there's a, there's a natural respect for who he is and for what is his authority, and there's that fear knowing that ultimately your future is in his hands. What he declares when he slams the gavel will be what happens in your life. And so we understand based on this and, all, and lots of other scripture, obviously, that we will stand before God and give an account for every work that we do, whether it's good or whether it's evil. So to be a God-fearing man doesn't mean that we're afraid of God. It means that we have a respect and a reverence for God. Amen? Something that is being lost more and more and more in our society. Amen? The fear of God is on the decline, and you can see that, that, that reflects the world around us. So it's, it's like a son, right? It's like a son who, um, I, I was never afraid of my dad. I wasn't scared of him, but I feared him. I knew that if I did wrong, I was, there was going to be consequences to pay, right? Um, and many times, it just the look, we... It, I always got in most trouble at church for some reason, which is odd that God would call me to be a pastor. But um, we'd be sitting, in the, I think Lindella was scared of my dad, but I wasn't scared of my dad. But, I, you know, in church, we'd be sitting back there and, and not paying attention or goofing off and maybe snicker and God would hear me and, or dad would hear me and he would turn around and give me this look that would, it would be like, he would bore through my soul, right, with this look. And it, it brought me into submission because I knew there was going to be consequences if, if I disobeyed my dad. So I wasn't afraid of him, but I feared him. I respected him. I revered him to do what he wanted me to do, right? And that's natural. That's normal. That's good. A son understands that his dad is going to take care of him, but that he's also going to be consequences if he disobeys. And so the writer of Hebrews says that it's basically the same way with God. The Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, Okay. So when we think about the fear of God and the discipline of God, it's not because he's angry at us and he's mad at us and he hates us. It's because he loves us. All of it, we fear God because he loves us. Amen? So we, got, we have to make sure that we get this. I, I heard a guy say one time, he's a Christian guy, and he said, I don't like it when people talk about the fear of God. That doesn't sound right. We shouldn't be afraid of God. I'm thinking, man, you missed the whole point. First of all, there's a lot of phrases in the Bible that talk about the fear of God, right? So I can't say, oh, don't say that. We just have to understand what it really means. Our society desperately needs this. We need this. He said that the Lord disciplines the people that he loves, and he chastises or those, every son whom he receives it, who, excuse me, who he receives. Is it for discipline that you have to endure? God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's a natural thing for a father to discipline his son because he loves him. And therefore, it's a natural thing for the son to respect and revere and fear in a healthy way his dad, knowing that his dad is the authority over him. Amen? So there's a difference in fear and afraid. Uh, Now, I will say this. Those who refuse to fear God have reason to be afraid of him. Amen? Amen? Now, God... God, well, we'll say this at the very beginning as we go through there, because I want to make this point very clear. I believe with all of my heart that God wants people to come to him, not just out of fear, not, I mean out of being afraid of hell. I think that God wants people to come to him in response to his love. You know, Jesus went to the cross. God sent his only son to die for us that our sins might be forgiven. And that's why God wants us to be saved. That's why God wants us to come to him in response to his act of love, not because we're afraid of hell. That being said, hell exists. That being said, those who do ultimately flat out reject God and don't come to him and don't fear him have reason to be afraid because in the end, remember we just read it, he brings every work into judgment in the end, at the end of our life. Adam and Eve lost their fear of God and then became afraid. Right? God said to them, don't eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you will die. They come to a point, they became so comfortable with that command that they didn't fear it anymore. See, they, they didn't think that, they, they got to the point where they're like, ah, God don't mean it. God said to them, don't eat from this tree or you will die. Ah, he don't mean it. Ah, maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe he'll go easy on us. They, that fear, they became comfortable and they lost that fear of God. And so they went ahead and ate the fruit. They completely disobeyed God, ate the fruit. And then what happened when God came into the garden? They were afraid. They, they realized after they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked. And they realized, oh man, we have really messed up here. And so here comes God and they hide because they were afraid. Now they realize they're under the judgment hand, the, the disciplining hand of God. And they were afraid. Because they refused to fear God. And they had reason to be afraid. But here's the, here's the great thing about God. It all goes back to my original point. God, God's way more interested in his mercy than he is his wrath. God's wrath is a real thing and it'll be poured out. But God would rather be merciful. So we read that, we read that story and we see where uh, God comes in and he, he confronts them for sinning against him. And he drives them out of the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says he puts an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden so that they couldn't go back in. And that seems like this real harsh, fearful thing. I mean, for me, if I'm going into a place and there's an angel with a flaming sword, I'm turning around. That's, a, that's, that's scary. But see, God didn't put that angel, that scary angel with a flaming sword to guard the Garden of Eden because God was mad at them and because God wanted to rub salt in the wound and and make them feel even worse for sinning. God put that angel there because if he didn't, if Adam and Eve would have went back into that garden and ate from the tree of life, there was another tree in the garden called the tree of life. If they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in that fallen sinful condition. They wouldn't have been able to die. God said, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to allow you to die. Can you imagine living in this world the way it is now for all eternity? I mean, I know we don't like death, but it's a blessing. That's that's God's gift to us. I'm going to let you die, get out of this life, and have a lot better one to come. And so even in that, you know, being afraid of God, but still it came back to God's mercy in that he was providing for them even though they had failed him because that's the kind of God he is. He's a good, good father. Amen? By the way, they didn't know what I was going to be preaching this morning when they sang that song, I might add. <clears throat> he's a good father. He is to be feared. Jesus said it like this. 
He said, don't, don't fear man who can just kill your body. But rather, fear God who can kill both body and soul in hell. Ultimately, God is the one that's in control of every breath. And he's to be feared and revered. We fear people sometimes more than we fear God. Jesus said, look, you don't have to, work. You don't have to fear people. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> right? That's literally what he's saying. All people can do is kill you. I'm like, well, that seems kind of bad. It seems like a reason to be afraid. And you know what? If that was the end of our existence, then that would be a reason to be afraid. But when this body dies, that's not the end for us. For the child of God, that's just the beginning of great things. He said, you worry more about fearing God, respecting and honoring God, because not only can he destroy your body if he wanted to, but ultimately, he's the one that holds you, your eternal soul in his hand. Amen? But he'd rather save us, yes? He's going to judge, and yes, there'll be people cast away by their own choice. God would rather save us. The Bible says that God is not willing that anybody perish, but that all people come to repentance. Amen? Because that's the kind of God that he is. Now, if you're in Malachi, I want to I try to, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. I want to kind of skim through pretty much the whole book in, 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 a, in a quick manner here. But I want you to see the heart of God. When we think about God wanting us to fear him and what that really looks like, again, more in the form of a father, not just in a mad, godly, divine being that's wanting to throw lightning bolts at people from the cosmos. Let's look at, I want us to see, number one, as we go through this, we see the heart of people, okay, and we see the nature of people and how sinful and rebellious people are, even the people of God can be, but we also see the heart of God and what he is basically compelling this letter, I mean, this, this prophecy is ultimately to the Israelites. And what God is compelling and drawing them the kind of relationship he wants with them. So let's start here. First of all, in the very, right, at the, right off the bat in verse 2, what is those first four words? Somebody read them out loud. I have loved you. Okay, so he's getting ready to scold them pretty good. He's getting ready to say to them, Look, judgment is coming, you have, you have disobeyed me, and I'm about to bring the hammer down. But he starts off by saying, look, I want you to understand that everything I say from this moment forward, always come back and remember that I love you. That's why I'm saying, it kind of, you know, how it is, you know, whenever your parents are spanking you and they say, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you, and you say, yeah, right. Right? I don't think so. God's saying, I love you, and this is why, that's why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. And again, I'm going to skip down through there a lot. So in verse, so if you're going with me in your, your Bible there, uh, you'll have to keep up. <laughs> so in verse 6, God is saying, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord. Basically what God is saying to them is, you honor your dads and you fear your dads, understanding that there's consequences if you just, God said, where's my fear? Where's my honor? You have kind of disregarded everything I've said. You've feared man and you've put everything, but where's my, don't I deserve to be honored and, re, and don't I deserve reverence? After all, I created you. These people have lost the fear of God and they were doing everything unspeakable. You know, if God said not to do it, they were doing it. If God said to do it, they weren't doing it. They were in complete rebellion and God says, where did that fear go? Where's, where's my fear? Don't I deserve to be feared and revered? In verse 10, he says, oh that, there were oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire, uh, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God's just saying, I wish I could find one person that 
that really honored me and gave me the reverence that I long for and deserve. This is what God is looking for. See, Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, God is looking for worshipers, but there's a specific type of worshiper God is looking for. Not just people who sing the songs. Not, not just people who lift their hands. He said, he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. With all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, to honor, respect, and glorify God. God is longing for a people who will fear him. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. God said, look, one way or the other, I will be feared, right? One way or the other, I want you to come to me and submit to me out of love. But one way or the other, God, God here, here's the thing. God set a plan in motion and he's not going to veer from it. God said, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. The fear of God is the whole duty of man because he's going to bring every judgment into work, whether it's good or whether it's evil. He goes on to say, here, here's one of the main things that was, uh, that really kind of got to God. In verse 8, I'm kind of skipping back here. God says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord? So here's ultimately what God is saying. You know, in, in that day, in the Old Testament time, they were under a, sac a sacrificial system where you know, somebody raising a herd of sheep would have to go through his sheep and find the best one he had, the very best, and bring it to God, bring it to the, to the temple, and sacrifice it unto God. God said, I want your very best. And people did that for a while, but there came a time where people lost their fear of God. And so what they did was they would pick through their herd and find the sick ones. Find the lame ones. Find the ones that were going to die. They were giving God all of their leftovers. And God's saying, that's not what I'm looking for. I, I want your best. He said, you're bringing me all of these lame sacrifices. He said, give that to your governor. See if he'll accept it. In other words, you're giving more honor and respect to people than, than you are ultimately to me. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like if, you know, here's the deal. If the governor was to come to your house, and it really doesn't matter, or the president, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it really doesn't matter. If you're an American citizen and the president of the United States or the governor was coming to your house for dinner, you're not going to break out the Vienna sausages and Raymond noodles. Right? You're, you're going you're to bust out the porterhouse or the ribeye. You're going to get the steaks. The filet mignon, you're going to get the best that you can get. Man, the governor, the president is coming to my house. You're going to give him the best that you can come up with. And God is basically saying here, you're, you're feeding your president, you're feeding your governor filet mignon, and you're giving me Vienna sausages and ramen noodles. Don't I, as the creator of the universe, deserve the best? Of course he does. What does that mean to you and I today? I mean, we're not under that sacrificial system. We're not bringing in goats and bulls and lambs and all that kind of stuff. But my goodness, folks, every day we live, there's, there's sacrifices to give unto God. Paul, I think, in Romans, Paul said, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. How is it acceptable unto God? When we give him our best. Out of a respect and out of fear and out of honor. We give God everything. That's what God deserves that. He longs for that. He said, take, take, what, take the way you're treating me and give that to your governor and see how well he likes it. He's not going to like it. And then in chapter 2, he kind of he begins to talk to the preachers a little bit. He said, this, uh, oh priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, 
to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and curse your blessing. The very blessing you have, God said, I will turn it into a curse. These, see, here's what, here's what happened. And we read this not only here in Malachi, but we read it in, in Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of those other uh, prophets were the preachers of that day, the priests that were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. People could go to them and they would all, and should always point people towards God. The priests were becoming corrupt. Are there any, are there any corrupt preachers in our day? Plenty of them. There have been in every generation. And so he's, go, he's getting on to the preachers here and he's saying, basically, look, people, you're, they were telling people, uh, I think Jeremiah said it like this. He said, the preachers are out telling people, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They were literally, they, they lost all fear of God and God was about to bring the hammer down, but the preachers were saying, oh, no, no, he's a, he's a God of love. You don't, have to worry, you don't have to worry about any of that. Because the preachers were getting rich off the people and all they were concerned about was their life. The preachers had lost the fear of God. Folks, we can expect unbelievers not to fear God. A lot of them say they don't believe in him. They say they don't believe in him. I don't think there is such a thing as, an, as a true atheist. Amen? They say they don't believe in God, but the first time, the first time hardship strikes and what do they start doing? They, they call out to God. So, but we can expect unbelievers to, to not fear God and because if you can remove God from your life, then you can kind of do whatever you want to, and that's normal. But when the church loses the fear of God, we're, we're in a mess. But when the preachers lose the fear of God, we're in a bad mess. Man, if I stand up here and I proclaim the word of God to you all and you ignore that, that's on you, Right? And that would be bad enough if the church just disregarded the holiness and the might of God and, and disregarded what I would say. But if I'm up here to tickle your ears, if I'm up here just to get popular, and if I lose the fear of God, that leaves you all in a bad, bad spot, and it leaves the rest of the world in an even worse spot. God's coming down on the preachers. You've got to you got to fear me again. You've corrupted the covenant, the Levi. He goes back, basically the first priest was Levi. When all the tribes of Israel, God chose the tribe that come from Levi to be the priesthood. And he basically says to them, say, look, Levi, Levi feared me in a healthy, right way. But what happened was as generations went by and generations went by, there's a little bit of compromise, a little more compromise, a little more compromise to the point where now in this era, the preachers didn't fear God as much. Folks, if we don't, if we don't hold a standard in, in our life, in the way that we live, if we don't live as though we fear and revere and honor God, our kids aren't going to. And our grandkids sure aren't going to. Every generation loses a little bit more of the fear of God. In fact, you know, Psalm, I believe it was, the, the word says that every nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. Every nation that forgets God stops fearing him, will be turned into hell. And we've seen that happen throughout scripture with the, with the nation of Israel. That nation was just, it was, it was just turned into hell, it was turned into chaos because they quit fearing God. That's, they're not the only nation. Nations have done that all. all why, why do we see so much unrest and problems in, in America today? Could it be when we look out and we see hell and pandemonium in the streets, could it be that it's because we've lost our fear of God? I think there's a connection. Amen? I think there's a connection. So, um, 
God's calling them. He's saying, look, don't, don't lose the fear. Get back on track and hold that so for the sake of your, your generations to come. Um, I like verse, chapter 3, verse uh, 7 here. He said, the last part of that verse, he said, return to me and I will return to you. Again, the mercy of God. God's not a grudge holder, I might add. Hey, man, he's all about restoring people, not, not holding a grudge. Um, go into verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. This is the promise. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God said, I'm, I'm looking over the earth. Remember in that verse part, he said, oh, that I could find one person that really feared and, re- and honored me. And God said, I, I find those who fear me and I write a book of remembrance. I will not forget the honor that they give me. And then look what he said. They shall be mine. Those who fear God, he said, I, those are my people, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him okay here's the important thing in this life right now there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference between people who serve God and people who don't sometimes people who don't serve God their life goes great good things happen to them people who do serve God sometimes go through hard trials and it seems where's the difference between those who serve God and don't well, in this life, it may not be. Jesus said, I'm going to let the wicked and the, and the righteous all grow up together. In this life, I'm going to let them all grow up together. And then when this life is over, when this world comes to an end, then I'll separate them out. Then there will be a definite distinction between those who feared God and those who didn't. Amen? That's when it's going to matter the most. We have a tendency sometimes to fear, people fear People fear losing their money more than they fear God. But watch the stock market with wringing their hands. And what we, you, know, you watch as your 401k goes down. We, we fear the economy. We fear losing money. And God said, man, you're, you're more worried about that than you are what I think about you, right? The thing about it, the Dow doesn't matter. The NASDAQ, the Dow, the Dow will bow. Amen? I just made that up. The Dow will bow. It doesn't matter what the Dow is doing. It all that matters is that God ultimately holds every breath. <laughs> every breath we take, God holds it in his hands. We ought to fear him more than fear, losing, fear of losing money. And here's, here's where it all comes down. Here's where it matters the most in chapter 4. He said, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming... Uh, excuse me, the day that is coming shall, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Those who fear God looking towards a healing, amen, that comes from seeing God face to face. A healing where we never have to worry about the pain and the sorrow and the temptations and the failures and so on and so forth that this world has to offer. It's worth fearing God. Men in, in uh, Numbers chapter 25, you don't have to turn there, but I'd encourage you to read it later on. In, in Numbers chapter 25, we read about a man by the name of Phinehas. Not to be confused with Phineas. Phinehas. Some young, young people get that little reference there. But his name was Phinehas. And the Bible says that 
the, the Israelites had joined up with the Moabites. Okay, so up until this point in, in Israel's history, God had protected them and kept them and he gave them the commandments. And then when they got around the people of Moab, they just lost their spiritual mind. Because that's, that's kind of the effect the world, the sinful world around us can have on us. You set out to do what's right and to live for God and then the world were corrupted. And they were just corrupted by the world around them. They get around the Moabites and the Moabites invite them over. They say, hey, come over and worship our gods with us for a while. When you read about the Moabites and the gods that they worshiped, I mean, they had all kinds of weird practices. There was prostitution going on. There was, they would sacrifice their own children to their gods. The Moabites were, were thugs and the gods of the Moabites, which weren't real gods, but they invite the Israelites, come over and worship our gods. Let's get to know one another. And the Israelites, who aren't supposed to have any other gods before them, say, okay. And so the Moabites throw this big barbecue and the Israelites go. And that started to get on them. These Moabite pagan idol worshiping practices started to get on them. And some people started to worship these other gods. And God said, I can't have this. If I allow this to go on, it's going to corrupt my entire nation. And he loved Israel too much to allow them to be fully and completely deceived. And so he gave the command to Moses, I want you to find all of the people. Remember, this is Old Testament law right now. I want you to find all the people who have joined up with Moab and worship their gods, and I want you to, to destroy them, kill them. God said, I won't, share, I won't share myself with anybody, with any other god. They're either going to worship me or they're going to worship somebody else, but they're not going to do both. And so the Bible says that Moses and the leaders, all of them got into the, they, they were there at the gate of the tabernacle, which was basically the church. It was the temple of that day. It was like a portable church. And they're there gathered at the church and they're weeping and they're calling out to God. There was this godly sorrow. They were so upset that their nation had gone astray. And they're repenting and they're calling out to God so distraught. And as they're there praying and seeking, here comes this man. This Jewish man, his name is Zimri. Here he comes, bebopping across the, the lawn with a Moabite woman on his arm. And he, he brings this Moabite woman, a prostitute, no doubt, brings her into his tent, to his family. He literally brings sin into his home to corrupt his entire family. Bold, unashamed. Here, oh Moses, everybody's calling out to God, and he don't care. He's lost all fear of God. I think it was in Jeremiah when God is pleading with him again. He said, you guys don't even know how to blush anymore. My people, they can't even blush. They are so brazen and so hard in their sin that they can sin and not even feel bad about it anymore. It's amazing, really, when you get to reading through the Old Testament and the history of Israel, the connection you see in our own day. I mean, we're living in a day where people don't blush much anymore. Anything goes. Anything goes. Watch TV. Get on, go out and watch people. There's just no blushing. There's no reason to blush because we don't fear God. When I don't fear God, I can do whatever I want to. And that's ultimately what the human heart wants to do. I want to do whatever I want to do. I don't want, to, I don't want God bossing me around. But when I understand who God is and that he will be my judge one day, that kind of makes me think, or should, anyway. Anyway, so Phinehas... He's watching this guy just brazenly, openly, without repentance, no shame, take this 
Moabite woman into his house. And something just stirred in Phineas' heart. Now remember, God had already given the command to kill everybody who had gone off the rails like that and was, was leading the, the country astray. And something just stirred in Phineas' heart and he's like, it, just, it angered him. And, and he, Bible says he took a spear and he went into that guy's tent and he threw that spear, he shish kebobbed him. Went through the, woman, the man and the woman at the same time, he shish kebobbed him. Now I know that, that sounds rough. Again, this is Old Testament law happens right now. But the bottom line was this. The guy had lost the fear of God, and so it was having taken its toll on their society. Phineas says, that can't be. We have to make sure that we stand for God. And, and, he, and when he did that, God looks at Phineas. You know, Phineas sees this happen. He looks at his buddy, and he says, I know what we're going to do today. Right? And he goes, and he, he takes care of this. And God looks at the heart of Phineas, and he turns the whole judgment of the country around. It touched God's heart to see that there was still somebody who feared God and really did care that God's will was accomplished in his country. I believe God's still looking for that. I mean, we're living in a, in, in a time of grace. No, God's not out here to throw javelins and kill people when we sin against God. You, you understand the point of all of this that we see in our day and our time. Judgment is reserved now until we die. Okay? I'm not, God's not giving me the command to go around and throw a javelin in your heart if you sin against God. God will sort that out when you're, when you're dead, right? That's why we look to him. But to be the type of people, to be the people of God, Jesus said this, he said, when the son of man returns, will he find any faith on the earth? Because those who are of faith seemingly are losing it. God help us to stand and not fall. God help us to stand and not get so comfortable with the blessings and the love we, we take, don't we take love for granted? People who love us, let's face it, we take them for granted. We, we just don't appreciate, appreciate them like we should. Right, I'm saying days, you, you don't realize how much your wife does us. She's gone for a little while. We, we just, we don't appreciate and we forget. And we do that same thing with God. We get so comfortable with our sin and, and our life that we lose that, great awe for God. You know, the Israelites, when, when God first brought them out into the wilderness from Egypt, he gathers them around this mountain, okay, Mount, Mount Sinai, and they're all around the base of the mountain. The Bible says that this God was in this cloud. You can picture it, this big, thundering, booming, lightning striking cloud that was at the top of the mountain. And guess what? The, and guess what? The Israelites were scared, but they, they could see the power that God had. And, and it created that, that awe, that fear. I, I want to be sure and do what this God tells me to do. And they made a covenant with God. Moses comes down off the mountain and said, this is what God said he wants you to do. And the people said, we'll do it. Because they saw the power. But we find later on in life, they got comfortable. Moses was up on that mountain getting the law. And it was taking a little longer than they thought it should. And they were so desperate to have a God that they take all of their gold and they form a golden calf. And the Bible says that the people rose up to eat and to drink and to play and they worshipped this golden calf. They forgot that fearful mountain experience. They walked away from the fear of God. They forgot how awesome God was and they settled for this little golden God. What about us? 
Those moments, maybe that when you got saved or that we see things happen, we, we, God is so powerful, he's so mighty, but if we're not careful, we can get so comfortable in that power that we take it for granted and we settle for some other God, something else to satisfy us. Maybe even mostly a lot of times a golden one, money. Phil, if I have, if I only had a, if I could only hit the Powerball and have $190 million, then I would be scared, I wouldn't worry anymore. Your life would be so miserable. I'm telling you, he said, well, I'd like to try it. Well, what's 10% off $190 million? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You'd still be miserable. Oh, but if I could have a golden God, I wouldn't have to worry about whether I'm pleasing God anymore. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, they say, they say that a, an experienced electrician um, many times will get electrocuted before a rookie electrician will. And that doesn't make any sense. You think, well, how can somebody that's worked with electricity their whole life, you'd think they'd be the ones that wouldn't get electrocuted and the newbie, the new guy would be the one that gets electrocuted. So why is it that the experienced electrician a lot of times gets electrocuted? Because he gets comfortable, right? The rookie, the new guy, he, he has a respect for this power. He has a respect, a fear for electricity. So he's doing like this. He's being extra careful understanding what he's dealing with here whereas the guy that's been in it a long time has gotten so comfortable he's forgotten really the power that is there and he's just in there working in a in a box and i, I don't i mean i don't do anything hot man if I, i'm not an electrician anyway but i'm turning like i'm going i'm calling hal organ i'm saying turn off the whole line down my road before i even change out an outlet because i don't want to get bit but i mean these electricians will get in there and they're doing this stuff while there's power in the box and they just get comfortable and we can do that with God. We can get so comfortable with him and it was his mercy that we forget how great he is. Forget about that power that is there. I think that God wants us to come back to that point where we're just, we're in awe of him again. Amen? Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. If good, healthy, respect, and fear of God changes the course, that's what sets the tone for our lives. Turn into Psalm 27 real quick. I want to start wrapping this up here and leave you something leave you something comforting to chew on here this, this morning. Psalm, Psalm chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The one thing that matters to most, the psalmist says, is that I dwell and live in the presence of God. Amen? That my life honors him. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. 
He will lift me high upon a rock. That scripture that Sister Anita shared said he will, he hides us under the shadow of the Almighty. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Or cast, uh, or, O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O my God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Even when those who are the closest to me in this life fail me, I know that God won't. Teach me your way, thus first. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Ultimately, what this psalm is saying is, is this, that when we fear the Lord, we never have to fear anything or anyone else again. When we have a healthy fear of God, we don't have to fear anything. There are so many scriptures. I mean, this is just a drop in the bucket. So many scriptures where the scripture says to fear God. But there are just as much, even more, where the scripture says fear not. Amen? When we have a healthy fear of God, we reverence him, we honor him, we live for him. We don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear the coronavirus. I'm not saying you won't get it. I'm saying you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to fear people. All they can do is kill you. Remember we talked about that a minute ago. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We can live in perfect peace, even in the midst of chaos. Fear don't have to have its place in the heart of the the believer when we fear God. He's got everything. God said, just you fear me. You worry about me and let me take care of the rest. God won't fail us. God will not fail us. God said, "If, if God be for me, (laughs) who can be against me if God is for me if he's on my side who can be against me what do what is there that I have to fear I'm going to leave you with Deuteronomy chapter 10 this is has a little flavor like Ecclesiastes that we started with this is the this is the backside of the Oreo cookie okay Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 and now Israel you put your name there now crossway now Dennis now child of God what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. God said, obey my commandments. Keep my way. Fear me. Not, God said, not even so much for my sake as it is for yours. Amen? Where's your life at now? How is God an afterthought to you or is God the first thought to you? Ask yourself that question. I can't answer that for you and you can't answer that for me. But that's a good place to start. I know God. I know he's there and I want God's blessing in my life. But it's easy to take God and put him in our back pocket. Right? We know he's there. We know he's merciful. But God said, I don't want to be in your back pocket. I want to be, in the Old Testament, he said, I want to put you on the frontlets. I want to be on your forehead. I want to be in front of your eyes. I want to be what your life presses for. Amen? Bow with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we we stand in awe of you today. We look out at, at this earth, the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the, the works of your hands and how it operates so flawlessly. 
and we are in awe. We're amazed at what you have done, the works of your hands. Let us never, let us never get bored in your presence. Let us never take for granted the promises that you have made for us. Your love as a father, as a heavenly father, let us never shuck that aside. I pray that today this godly fear will find its rightful and proper place in the heart of every person who is here today. Every person who is listening to this message, whether it's here, whether it's online, in my own heart, God, I know how easy it is to get too comfortable. Just as your spirit now begins to move in this place and deal with individuals, I pray, God, that you would just clear out everything in your path. Let each one of us, Lord, stand before you and allow all the roadblocks to just fall by the wayside. That you might have your way in all of us, individually and as families. Let us learn, God, and to help us to set a watch at our home that will never openly bring sin into our homes. Help us, God, to fear you more than man, more than losing money, more than sickness. Prepare us for that day where we stand before you and are judged for all of our works. Hallelujah. For this is the whole duty of man. That's what you're longing for. I delivered my soul this morning, God, and I realized that I can preach your word, but I can't save souls. I can't change hearts. That's your work. I pray that you would accomplish that, that you want to accomplish in our lives today in Jesus' name. Everybody just continue to pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Have a one-on-one heart-to-heart with God this morning. Would you do that? Would you be honest with God today? And if, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never been saved, you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, confessed him as your Lord. In other words, Lord, I believe you are who you say you are. You are God. I believe you died on that cross 2,000 years ago for me to pay for my sins. And I just want to thank you for that. I repent of my sins and I invite you in to be my Lord. That's, that's all it really boils down to. If you've never done that this morning, but God's dealing with your heart to do that as they sing the song of invitation, these altars are open to anybody who wants to come up and pray. But pray. Whether it's at the front of the church or in the back of the church or in the middle of the church, doesn't matter. All that matters is that you pray to God one-on-one today.